We are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. We are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. Yeah, I know. Before everyone says, I know it's four games. Um, but if we can't celebrate when we're top of the league, then, you know, when can we celebrate? Uh, no one's saying we're going to win the league, although I probably am saying that. I think it's inevitable. Uh, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon podcast. This is episode 134. Last week I said that. I was wrong. Um, in fact, I tried to call this Zencaster at 134. I was like, you're not allowed to do that. I literally said that because I've already called one. This is episode 134. So welcome um, to the yeah Arsenal Cannon podcast extravaganza. I'm joined by Rob, Bob, Roberto, as he's named himself in this little recording studio thing. Bertha, what are you saying? Um, I'm, I'm saying the same as you. We are top of the league. Um, you know, after the match, I uh, I walked into the the wonderful toilets that uh, the Emirates Stadium has to offer, and I was like, "Who are top of the league?" And the whole t- uh, sort of urinal went absolutely mental. Um, yeah, it's just so fun being an Arsenal fan right now. Um, like you, I'm going to Villa on Wednesday as well. Just going to the games is so good at the moment. The whole vibe around around the club is excellent. And um, yeah, just, just in general, Arsenal are winning. So I'm in a good mood. Um, it's as simple as that, really. That's what, what life is for me. It was absolutely electric, uh, particularly in the closing stages as we sort of rallied by the team. But absolutely electric we shouldn't <laughs> the atmosphere was electric never seen anything like it um but we're not allowed to celebrate so we'd be tone it down sorry richard if you're watching which you probably are um yeah well we, we won't celebrate i know it's only fulham um so we haven't won the world cup so let's you know let's tone it down It'll probably reference us on being sport, considering you know he's not allowed to speak on Sky anymore. The the poor bloke, but but we won't talk about that, will we? No, we won't bring up his long list of um, incidents that make him a pretty terrible person, um, and, and the fact he just looks like a seventy year old Hasbulla as well. That's just... <laughs> he does, he does. I've actually I forgot about that comparison. That is that's very accurate. Anyway, two one win. Um, I'm going to kick this off by saying somehow in 2022, and this sort of pertains to um, to Richard Keys again, somehow scorelines still draw the whole mainstream narrative. Um, this was not a close game, which we scraped. We absolutely battered Fulham. Uh, you just had to watch the game, but let me give you some, some stats. Uh, 22 shots to six. We had uh, 73, 74% of the ball. Um, If you look at all the stuff like final third entries, touches in the final third, touches in the box, passes completed, expected goals 2.5 to 1. Apparently that's the highest XG in the league for like four years or something, which is pretty No, no, Leicester was higher. Leicester was higher. Oh, really? Okay, fair enough. No, we've had higher, but it it was a good, it was a dominant display. Um, and I know people will say two slightly fortuitous goals, but I mean, if we just taken a few of our other chances, no one would be looking at that. We could have won this four or five one. It was, it was a, a very good performance. And what I want to start with first is, I think this is our most interesting game so far this season, because although we said we batted them, there was more, because I think some of the changes makes it more interesting to discuss, but. I think this is almost more valuable than if we'd run out, you know, three, four nil winners again, very comfortable sort of second half took our foot off the gas, like the first few games. Um, I know Palace is slightly different because we haven't, first of all, last season, we barely showed we could turn games around when, you know, adversity, facing adversity. Um, And we haven't faced a game state like this so far. And the mental side of it, this will give them great confidence um, that shows that we can turn it around. And it showed that we can attack teams and absolutely pile the pressure on and create this siege siege and waves of pressure um, and territory against um, against a, a lesser side. We're capable of doing that and turning it around. And, you know, it felt like the goal was coming the whole time because it was relentless pressure. Do, do you sort of see that with the... the 
just how valuable this game state, um, experiencing this game state could be for this team going forward uh, rather than just running out comfortable winners again. Yeah, I absolutely see that. I think it was a really valuable day from from so many perspectives, especially as you say, with regards to um, sort of the changes we had to make, um, just how we how we cope with that. You know, it wasn't perfect. But at the end of the day, we, we did have to turn the game around, and on another day, probably with our full team, we wouldn't have had to have done that. We probably would have grabbed a couple of goals in the first half. But it, it was it was very helpful and sort of showed the, the perhaps increased um, sort of mental strength of this team, which, you know, it's difficult to sort of assess off factors too much, but you you can tell that this is a team that is, is definitely on, on the up in that regard. Um, and yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, it um, was very valuable from uh, the perspective of, um, sort of, yeah, just being a completely different affair to what to what we've seen this season, and it's good that the boys didn't let their heads drop because you're 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 also right in saying that we we dominated the majority of the match. I think I can't really remember a, a proper chance for Fulham before that that Mitrovic um, sort of turnover of play, uh, and then they had a few chances late on, but we radically sort of modified our system and, and they, they were all from set pieces exactly um so yeah i think i think it was a really sort of useful day out from that perspective and also just extremely encouraging in the way that we were able to turn it around especially after sort of games last season where we'd concede a goal in the second half and and that would be that um yeah i saw another stat i can't quite remember it but it's a long time is it the the it's the first time we've turned it around from when we, a second we half went, concession, yeah, yeah, we went a goal down in the second half. Mm. It's the first time we've turned the game around one since twenty thirteen. Wow, yeah, I mean that that says enough, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, I I said it was more interesting because of the changes. Uh, it sort of sparks more interesting sort of tactical debate. So we'll start there with with, with regards to the actual game. Obviously, two players were unavailable, Thomas Partey and Alexander Zinchenko. I would say if there's two players who sort of disrupt our build-up, uh, two players being absent, disrupting our build-up the most, and the way yeah, the way we build from deep and progress the ball on the pitch, it would be those two. Um, so it was quite a, a, a bit of a double blow um, because I think we've become less reliant on Thomas Partey because of Alexander Zinchenko and his ability to tuck in and progress the ball and beat a press. Um, but then we didn't have either. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I thought... So I think, obviously, Tierney was going to come in and then he was going to come in. And I was intrigued to see how Arteta approached that, how if he maybe adapted the system a little bit um, and sort of went back to allowing Tierney to do what Tierney likes to do, which is be an outlet and bomb up um, and be that sort of very wide and high up the pitch and get crosses in. Um, and then have Granit Xhaka drop a little bit deeper and help Mohamed Elneny with the ball progression, probably back to where Xhaka's more comfortable um, and sort of adapt the system in that way. He didn't do that at all. I think if you look at the average positions, um, you look at the heat maps and you just saw the position Shaka was getting into. Shaka played in the exact same uh, left eight role they've been playing this season um, and most of last season. And Kieran Tierney was tasked with doing the Alexander Zinchenko role. I would say, so I think he's capable of doing it. I'm glad that we did this because I think it's important that we keep our system going so that when we do have to make personnel changes, they're more capable of, of staying with it so we don't have to make big changes. And I think, so I think Tierney's more, I think people are writing him off in this position already, um, being able to do this. He does, he's played in a narrow system for us when he played as a left uh, left centre-back in a back three, um, where he was tucked in, he had to tuck in a lot. He did go on the outside a bit um, and support, whoever that left winger was or fill in there, left wing back. 
Uh, he does it for Scotland. He goes on the outside and, and supports Robertson. Um, but a lot of the time he is spent inside. The difference with this is that he's one uh he's one line forward. Uh he's he's not in the back three, he's in the middle double pivot. So there's more pressure on him on the ball um because he's higher up the pitch, which makes it much more difficult. And so it'll probably take some adaptation time, but I think just because he didn't perform in this game in that role doesn't mean he, he can't do it. I think he's good enough on the ball. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Zinchenko in that role, but I think he can adapt to it, and I think it will take time. What did you make of of the way we did that, and like Arteta sticking to that to that system? So first of all, I want to sort of second what you say about the criticism towards him is just a bit baffling. You know, it's the first time he started a league game in in a very long time. I yeah, mean, that's another good point. He didn't he, he didn't even look like fully fit. No, yet. no, and let's face it it's not really a role which he is naturally um, sort of inclined to perform like Zinchenko. Um, so just think about if, I don't know, you're at work and you're a bit ill and you're asked to do a job which you're sort of not very well suited to. Like, it's not going to go very well, is it? And that's basically what Tierney had to sort of deal with. And I don't think he was especially bad. I think his passing was conservative, I think, as you would expect. I think that is sort of uh, probably a symptom of the injury because we know that he he can play those um, sort of line-breaking passes. Um, I mean, especially from out to in, he's he's very good at those ones, sort of firing the ball up the pitch. That one in the FA Cup semi-final against City and the build-up to that Aubameyang goal springs to mind. But also sort of last season, that assist for Saka against Manchester City, it was from a sort of deep area and it was a low pass. It, it's not like it is a cross, but it's not really a cross. He is capable of playing these passes. Um, like you, I'm not saying he's Zinchenko, but he does have the skill set to play in this role. I just hope that we, when when we do play him, that we appreciate his qualities going forward as well, and we do see the sort of um, sort of chopping and changing between him and Shaka because we saw in the second half when we brought Tierney off and Katia, then Shaka sort of played in that left back area um, and. Obviously, our build-up was much better because Chaka is a brilliant progressor of the ball. Um, so I think when they play together, I'd like to see Tierney still bombing forward. But, you know, it doesn't have to be the whole game. I, I, I do think Tierney can do that job. Um, so, yeah, I think probably enough on that. Well, what were your thoughts on Elneny? Because I, I think that we're in sort of... Um, the same line on in, in, of thinking on this one, but it sounds like a lot of people online aren't. Yeah, just touch on the Tierney thing again. I think, I think once he gets a few games under his belt, uh, in against lesser opposition in the Europa League, where he's got more time on the ball in that position, I think we'll start to see him grow into it. And I think, I think it was clever from Arteta to stick by this formation because he wants interchangeability uh, without having to change his system entirely. Um, and Tierney's is versatile enough and adaptable enough to learn. I do think one thing he does at the moment that makes him very different to Zinchenko. Zinchenko will release the ball and pass the ball very quickly. Um, and he will see a player in front of him. Uh, and he'll see a lot of space. And instead of driving into the space, he'll just pass the ball. Whereas Tierney likes to carry it into the space. Um, and often that brings a man with him. And then he'll release the ball and his... I think that's an area where Tierney will learn in this role because his natural uh, inclination is to drive and carry the ball up the pitch. That's what he's pretty good at. Um, but this role is not as... You don't want him to do that as much. El Nenny, I th yeah, I want to get into El Nenny's performance. I guess we're getting some of the warts out the way before we talk about some of the better stuff. <coughs> El Nenny... See, so I... I found myself extremely frustrated by El Nenny's performance during the game. Um, and maybe I should be, I should should sort of realise that that is El Nenny. Um, and I do. 
I think in retrospect, it wasn't as big a problem because we still battered them. I think it was more of an issue in the first half. And I think we made, we'll, we'll get onto the changes we made to the system in the second half. I know you um, had a lot about the, the switch and system. So we'll get into that. But I think in the first half in particular, it was an issue. He, he completed uh, something like 50 out of 52 passes, um, which is typical in any. He keeps the ball. He'll, he'll play these wall passes. He'll play it sideways. He'll keep the ball. And I and I I I realise there is a value to ball retention. Like that is important. Um, it's just the extreme pragmatism that he plays with on the ball. If he sees a five yard pass, he's playing it instantly, regardless of the time he's got. Um, what other what else could be on further up the pitch? He will play it. Uh, without doubt, he'll play it instantly. I think in the first half we got it to to him too many times, and then in the second half he had fewer touches because we we worked around him a bit. It's just at times you see him get the ball. He's not even got. He's not even surrounded by a press. Like we know he can't turn away from a defender and beat a press like Thomas Partey does. But and I'm not asking him to do that. I think when he gets the ball in that sort of position, I'm fine with him just laying it back to the centre back. But it's times where he gets the ball. He's got a, like a five-meter radius with no one around him. And he just lays it back. And I'm like, if you turn there, you could see far more options. And what makes it frustrating is people always say this is El Nenny. But we see when we... I know this is against worse opposition. But we see probably when we play Zurich next week, he'll come in and he'll dominate that game. And he'll look good. And he'll play these progressive passes. And you're like... Why do you shy away from that when we get to the league game? And ultimately, it didn't cost us, cost us because we battered them. We found a way around it in the second half, which allowed us to create chances. But in the first half in particular, it just meant we couldn't progress the ball centrally at all, which meant we couldn't get the ball to our forwards quickly enough in space. And when we, by the time we did get it to them, because we did progress the ball in ways, but it was just slower. Uh, Fulham were in a more compact shape, so it was harder to break them down. I thought he was a hindrance in the first half. I don't know some people disagree with that because he kept the ball. But I think from a lone six in this system for Arsenal, you expect at least a little bit of ball progression. He made two progressive passes in the whole game. Everyone else, Every other outfield player um, for Arsenal, except Gabriel Jesus, who's the highest up the pitch, so he's probably not going to be making those progressive passes, made more than him. So... That tells you. Uh, yeah. Well, what did you make of El Nani? I know you were sort of along the same lines as me. Yeah, I, I mean, it does concern me, uh, just in general, because the, 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 the completely different stylistic approaches to playing as a six between him and Thomas Partey are just ridiculous. Um, completely changed the way we, we can play football. Um the and that, thing is, I think if we had Zinchenko, it probably yeah, would have been yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that I think we'll get onto that later as well when we talk about the change in system and what Chaka brought when he moved deeper. Um, but I just think it, it it sort of I don't know because obviously we weren't, we weren't horrendous in the first half, um, but I think it just is a bit of a dig at all the people that were sort of saying. Oh, Thomas Partey is too adventurous with the ball and needs to be more conservative with his passing left to right. Like, do you really want that? Someone who That's part of what makes him great. I know, I know he gives it away more than Elneny, but he's he does he does a lot more high value stuff. At the, at the end of the day, we we have our sort of centre backs um, to play those sort of secure passes into midfield. Um, that that that's what where we want. Um, sort of those guys playing the ball to the likes of Thomas Partey, who are who are capable of progressing the ball extremely well. Out sort of Granite Shaka as well, and now Zinchenko, of course. There is an onus on Mohamed Elneny to progress the ball in this team, and I can imagine that Mikel Arteta would have been really, really sort of angry at him um, because I, I honestly I don't think that is the best Elneny can do. As you say, we see him in some games. He is genuinely much, much better than that at progressing the ball forwards. So why, like when when 
we need him to do it this week. Does and I know that he might not have played for a while, and um, you know, obviously, when you come in and a team is playing very well, there's a pressure to perform very well. Um, but I think he sh- he should just be demanding mu- much more from himself. Um, you know, he, I know he's that sort of good egg in the dressing room who's always happy to just come in and and do a job. But we we heard him speaking in in the all or nothing, and it's the same with any professional footballer. They all think that they're too good to be on the bench. So come in and show that when you play. Don't don't sort of make us have a conversation after the game, sort of then thinking, oh, okay, how can we change the system so we can accommodate Mohamed Elneny? And if potentially caveat it though, do you think there's been any instruction from like Arteta's like, you're good at just keeping it ticking, keeping the ball, leave it to the players who are better passers than you to but, do but that. I don't I don't know who in and around him, apart from maybe Ben White, who can sort of offer that that progression? Saliba is a yes. brilliant passer. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, think Gabriel's passing is better than a lot of people mm-hmm. make out. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do sort of understand what you mean. Um, sort of, there there are moments where he's sort of dragging defenders out of the way, so those behind him can play the ball forward. And obviously Saliba had a ridiculous game, um, not just sort of defensively, but on the ball. He was, he was, it was his best game in an Arsenal shirt on the Completed ball. Completed 90 odd passes. His, 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 his passing accuracy is ridiculous. And I think that is perhaps something we should explore. Um, if this Elneny issue sort of persists persist when, um, Thomas Partey's out the side, um, sort of. Uh, we sort of have him moving players around in, in that sort of deep area, opening up passing lanes. I think that is probably a viable option. The problem sort of rises when, sort of like we saw with um, Newcastle away last season, when Elneny eventually starts to get a run of games, teams clock on and they just decide, okay, we're not going to mark Elneny. We'll just let him have the ball, keep it ticking over and we'll mark everyone else. Um, and that's when problems start to arise. Now, I imagine Fulham would have done that yesterday if they'd have known that Elneny was going to play. Um, so he he is a hindrance. Um, does make me really want us to sign a six, but I know it is, it is such a rare profile. But I, I think either this January or next summer, it's got to be right up there on the priorities because we talk about that right wing position um, and it... it it's a very similar situation. The drop-off is just too big. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just found it infuriating at times when, and I, I, I get what people were saying when, you know, he left it to the better passers to progress the ball. But I do think he's got more in his locker passing-wise because we have seen it. Um, we even saw it in that run to some extent at the end of last season when he came in. Like there were games where he was a lot more progressive. Then certain games he just and again I don't know if that is instruction, but there were just times where he could literally turn. Like f- this wasn't a game where we were pressed highly. Fulham did not press us at all, so it wasn't like he was being pressed and harried. He had a lot of time on the ball. He could have turned. He could have looked up and he could have found more forward passes. Um, but ultimately it didn't cost us because we found a way around it in the second half. And it's not to say, and you know, this was a good win and a good performance. And so far we've been mainly talking about more negative sides of the game. So we'll go, we'll move on to the positive sides. Um, we won this game. We were good and, and then he did not cost us. Um, it wasn't that we were even bad in the first half. I think if a few Saka gets that touch from the Odegaard pass back to him, the one, two, um, Maybe he scores that. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is played in, I think, by Martinelli. His touch is slightly better. He's through on goal. Uh, Shaka had a shot wide. Saka chopped back on his left foot when he probably should have gone in his right. And he got stuck under his feet a bit. There were some good moments. Uh, but it was it was sort of the going 1-0 down that really sparked us into life, which I think is really encouraging to show that we can, you know, we spoke up last week about how City responded to going two goals down against Newcastle. 
um, and they did it again this weekend. It was absolute dominance. It was ferocious. It was kind of scary to watch. And we weren't quite that, but we were close to it. We were absolutely relentless as soon as we conceded that goal. Um, I guess we'll just touch quickly on the goal. I know we wanted to go in the positives. Gabriel obviously redeemed himself. <coughs> it's just one of those moments where I guess it's still going to happen. He's still young for a centre-back um, in the Premier League. He just, he sort of gets it caught under his feet. I think it's it's not the greatest pass from Saka. He sort of set him up for a, a difficult position when you've got a striker as good as Mitrovic who can chase you down. Yeah, anything to say on that goal other than just that Gabriel should probably do better? Yeah, of course he should do better. He sort of dwells on the ball as well. Um, it was sort of one of those that sort of felt like it happened in slow motion and you're just like, okay, he's brought it down. Okay, is he going to get rid of it now? Okay, no, he's not and he's lost the ball. Um, I think we've to- spoken about it before. Um, Gabriel is the least technical proficient of our sort of uh, centre-back options. Ben White and Saliba are better than him on the ball. I think that's fair to say. Uh, just, yeah, I, th- I think that's enough said. Um, but Gabriel- I actually... I thought Gabriel was playing really well. So did I. So did I. I thought he was having probably his best best game of the season. Um, and let's face it, Gabriel ma- makes up for it in so many other areas of the game. I mean, look, he's a huge penalty box presence, both defensively and offensively. Um, and, you know, aerial duels, he's like a brick wall. And I think he's a leader as well. Um, you know, clearly, I think, I think it's been talked about how within the Brazilian sort of Portuguese-speaking contingent, he is sort of that guy in the squad, Big Gabby. Um, so, uh, you know, he makes up for it in so many different ways. But he, you know, he does have these sort of heart and mouth moments and this one came back to bite him. But at the end of the day, Saliba scored an own goal. What was it? A couple of games ago. That similar sort of age profile for centre-backs. I just think with Gabriel, he's a bit more normal in terms of centre-back progression. I think when Gabriel hits 26, 27, he's going to be an absolute formidable monster. Whereas it looks like Saliba will probably get there a little bit earlier just because he's a bit of a freak. Yeah. And isn't it lovely that we're no longer in that time where if our centre-back makes a bad mistake, it's it's costing us. Like It's not costing us now. It's, it's happened, as you mentioned, the Saliba goal own goal a few uh, weeks ago. It's not costing us now, which is lovely because um, we're good. So I wanted to get on to the change that we made. Um, I think it was very clear. I think you really understood the shape. I'm not going to lie. I was a bit waved uh, by that point in the game. Only uh, on rewatch sort of understood it. <laughs> fair enough. So I, I sort of understood that we switched to a 3-5-2 um, and we did it a bit in pre-season um, with the two strikers. I'm going to ask you to, to sort of dissect it more. Obviously, we brought Nketiah on for Tierney. I think it was the right smart change. And I was glad Arteta made that change because I didn't know if he had it in his locker. Certain times he doesn't really push for those attacking changes, but he, he threw it all in there uh, and it's a smart change. Yeah, go into that system change and, and how it changed the game for us. I mean, I think when the change was initially made, it was giving me sort of flashbacks to that awful Olympiacos loss to just before COVID when we were just desperate, desperate for a goal and Arteta was just throwing forwards onto the pitch for defenders and it was just chaos. And I thought, you know, he's done the same here. When is this guy ever going to learn? But no, there there was method behind the madness. Um, It didn't really change our build-up system too much. Um, And I think the idea behind this sort of three at the back is it does hide Elneny's um, sort of lack of progression a bit because it gets um, central midfielders, genuine central midfielders, rather than fullbacks in sort of progressive areas of the pitch. Um, So we saw sort of like a back three of uh, White, um, Gabriel and Saliba, but really White was still pushing forward and playing in that sort of uh, two or the right-hand side of the midfield, sort of three, sort of where the inverted fullbacks play. Um, and then we sort of maintain that front five, but instead of having Granit Xhaka within that front five, we had um, 
Eddie Nketiah in there. So it's just another attacker. I mean, it, it was a lot of fun to watch. I think, you know, we had a slight discussion about it on Twitter. I think Game State definitely played a role. But um, I think it is sort of a viable thing going forward. I think you can chuck another attacker into the team and bring off either one of like Zinchenko or Shaka going forward if if we're like really looking for that goal. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked it. And as we would have sort of alluded to throughout uh, when sort of discussing uh, Tierney and Elneny, bringing Shaka just that little bit deeper helped us so much because we know how good at progressing the ball he is. And yeah, a genius move by Mikel Arteta, to be fair. I've got to give it to him. Um, and really ballsy as well, as you suggest. Yeah. Um, what's this? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is uh, a system for that game state. Like, I don't think we should be starting like that. I don't think that's how you start a game. But I do think it was really effective when we were chasing the game, um, and having those two split strikers was was pretty nice. Um, it wasn't just Granite Shaka who was dropping a bit deeper. We've gone half an hour without talking about, for me, the the man of the match by country mile. I thought he was absolutely excellent. Martin Odegaard, he dropped a lot deeper. 11 progressive passes for Martin Odegaard in this game, which is insane for an attacking midfielder. Um, he was dropping deeper. And I've spoken previously about how I don't necessarily like him doing that as much because I like him more in the final third, uh, creating stuff. But in this game, it worked. Um, yeah, 11 progressive passes, eight shot creating actions, six dribbles. Um, he was brilliant. Uh, and I think it's there's something to be said about him really thriving in this game state. Like when we're chasing goal, he really steps up. We you think of the 3 3 against West Ham, he was brilliant when we're 3 0 down. You think of the Wolves game last season, he was excellent when we were 1 0 down and we turned it around. Um, and this game, he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, his some of his his quick feet, excellent. You know, there was that one time he he chopped away from two players and then he played a ping the ball out to the left. He had that beautiful pass to Jesus in the first half that led to the Shaka chance. Um, he scored. I think the way he manipulated that space with a step over. I know the the shot was a bit fortuitous, as I said earlier. He worked exceptionally hard. Oh, that little scoop pass for Enketia as well. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Some of his touches were just excellent. And it looks like those Bournemouth goals have given him a lot of confidence. And he was just sublime to watch in this game. And I hope he can continue that. What did you make of of our captain, Rob? I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head. So I'll just talk a little bit about sort of the cap, the captaincy itself. I mean... You know, there's been a lot of discourse within the Arsenal fan base in the last few years about the curse of the captaincy and players all of a sudden sort of going AWOL or doing something stupid as soon as they're given the captaincy. Um, you know, I think since really Koscielny's last like good season for Arsenal and then of course Ober's purple patch, I can't really remember the last time we had a captain who, you know, genuinely is like contributing to the team and saving the day and acting like a proper leader um you know still sunny day at the emirates erdegaard we, we know that's his meat and drink he loves it um but someone had to step up and and, and it was him and i i really liked him in in sort of that deeper role collecting the ball from deep i spoke about it in the um in the predictions podcast that we did with daniel I think it's a job that he can do. Um, and it's just a different dimension to his game. You know, last week we see we see him pushing forward into goal-scoring positions regularly. He was actually in a very similar position. Um, in the second half, Jesus um, had a shot saved by Leno uh, and Erdegaard was waiting right behind him, sort of in the exact same position. And you just wonder if... If uh, he was playing with that even more little bit of confidence, I know it's oozing right now, but even more if he might have gave Gabby a shout. But, you know, we also know what sort of uh, form Gabriel Jesus is in. Um, but yeah, he's just contributing so much more. Um, he's really responded to the somewhat unjustified criticism from the first few weeks. 
And yeah, he's performing like a captain. And I know he's only speaking after wins, but you know, he's consistently um, doing uh, the the presses after the game, which is great. It's what you want your captain to do. Um, and it's so obvious why Mikel has picked him um, to be the captain. He is just like a little Mikel on the pitch. He's orchestrating and he um, speaks so well. And he's, at the end of the day, he's just a very well-behaved lad, isn't he? Um, so... Yeah, it's it's fantastic to see that we can sort of trust our captain again. Yeah, and I think when Partey comes back in and Zinchenko, it'll probably drop deep less, um, which I'm fine with again, because I think he really thrives in the final third. He's getting more shots now. But in this game, it was a game for him to drop deep. And he, he can still do that when he's playing as the, you know with Partey and Zinchenko. But... Oh, just just so beautiful to watch. Like he was getting purrs with some of the things he did in that stadium. Um, and as we said a few times last year, when Martin Odegaard plays well, when he's purring, we play well going forward. Um, yeah, it was relentless pressure towards the end of that game, and the game the goal was coming, and we got it, and we had a few more chances. Again, there were some nearly moments like if we got a better touch, we might have scored. We'd First half, we had a lot of good pressure, but we weren't converting into shots. Second half, with Eddie on the pitch, who was stretching their defence, we we turned that possession and pressure into a handful of shots, and most of those shots came when Eddie came on. So let's speak about Eddie and his impact off the bench. It's exactly what you want from a substitute. Um, it is his movement in behind, it's his dribbling ability and his ball-carrying ability that's improved so much. Uh, and he was a handful. He had that brilliant turn where he almost cut it back to someone. There was no one there to tap it in. He was a, a, a time where he drove away from a player and then he nutmegged him and then he played it back inside. He was just very, very good. Um, almost scored. He had that Martinelli cut it back um, and Nketiah straight at Leno. If he puts it anywhere else, it's probably a goal. Yeah. Talk to me about Eddie's Eddie's contribution. Rob. Uh, yeah, he just added another dimension to the way way we play. I, I just every time I watch him, I, I can't believe this is the same Eddie and Ketia that we were sort of watching this time last year and thinking, mm, is he is he good enough to play for Arsenal? Because at the moment, he just looks like he absolutely is. Um, he's playing with so much confidence, and, it, and it's great to see. And I'm actually going to write a piece on him this week for the website because I just think he deserves so much credit for the sort of perseverance he's shown in his career and he deserves everything he's getting at the moment in terms of the plaudits and the goals will come as well eventually I just I I, I never thought he'd be the sort of player who can create something out of nothing and that's exactly what he is now Um, you know there was a moment pretty late on where I remember he sort of took the ball wide left and there was no one around him and I was ready to sort of sigh and go, oh, why is there no support for him? And he just left-footed pass back to, I think, probably Shaka or something. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I think that was when he carried it out wide and not yeah, made something. Yeah, 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 it was then. Um, there were other moments. There was that little chop inside and the left-footed shot, which was just whiskers away from going in. Um and he was really unlucky with the um, sort of ball, the scoop ball from Erdegaard. I thought that maybe he might have thrown himself at that one, but I think he should, probably should have taken that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, first time you saw Ian Wright say on match of the day, probably should have volleyed that first mm. time. Mm. You know, it's a good chance there. One one thing on that that when he heel chopped back inside and then that left foot, did that shot not look exactly like a shot on FIFA when you know when you're sort of going away from goal and you shoot when you probably shouldn't. Yeah, I'm sure. You mean. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, but, it, you know, he plays with a little bit of selfish, selfishness now. Um, it's just really encouraging. And, like, if, if you told me this time last year that we um, would have signed Gabriel Jesus, and but we'd be very comfortable having Eddie Nketiah as our backup for him, I, I think I would have. I laughed at you because he, he just never sort of came across to me as that sort of player. Um, but he completely changed our game. Um, just some of his all-round skills these days. I, you know, he's still got things to work on. Back to goal, he's not quite there yet. He's got that annoying habit, which you and I often talk about, where he 
runs backwards with the ball. I haven't seen that too much this season, to be fair. But then again, uh, probably a bit to do with the game state he comes on to. He's not really asked to do much sort of back-to-goal work. Um, and it'll be interesting to see sort of what sort of level he's at in the Europa League. I think he could be posting some scary numbers in that competition. Um, I think he could destroy... Uh certain teams yeah yeah he really could um and i'm excited to see see him playing regularly again and i feel for him because um i think gabriel jesus is undroppable because he's just apart from erling Haaland, the informed striker of, of the premier league right now um but he probably deserves to be starting football matches and it's it's a bit of the same old story but Clearly, his squad role is is very different now, and he's doing that number fourteen proud, isn't he? He is. Um, I think there's a few more uh, individual performances we can touch on. I thought Martinelli was really good again. I think one thing I've noticed about his dribbling is because he comes inside so much. When he actually goes on the outside, he tends to be his man, and he's pretty good at it. Um, it's when he goes inside that he doesn't necessarily do that, but I think he's always a threat in that. He turned into a shot monster again in this in this game, as a uh, as Scott put it uh, on his on his uh, stats, his data stuff uh, on Twitter. That's what he was when he first broke through. He's he's changed his game a bit, so he's much better and all round in the build up and stuff. But in this game, seven shots. Um, he was shooting uh, relentlessly, and he was a he was a massive threat again. I thought. Um, and also Ben White, I thought was excellent. He's grown into this defensive role, brilliant uh, into this right back role, brilliant defensively. Uh, was really good on the ball. I think he was like second or third for progressive passes. Uh, yeah, do you want to touch on those two performances? I have one more as well after that. Oh, lovely! Looking forward to it. Um, ben White, I I agree with you. I thought he was just superb, and there was that moment late on. I don't know how late on it was actually, but the the cross came in from um, sort of deep, might have been Kenny Tete or Kevin and Barber, I can't remember. And Ben White just sort of shields the ball away from Alexander Mitrovic. And, you know, imagine if that was Liverpool, uh, pretty much guaranteed goal with Trent Alexander-Arnold getting beaten in the air. We, we literally saw Mitrovic do that to Liverpool a few weeks ago. Um so yeah, I, I, just his overall game. I, I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was best game as a right back um, so far. Um, and yeah, he's just come on leaps and bounds. And I, and I agree with Gabriel Martinelli. I think um, obviously against um, the opponents we've already faced this season, he's he's been a bit more efficient. Um, and you know his, his shooting has been more effective and. I think his set pieces have probably been a bit more effective as well. He didn't have his best day. Was, from, yeah, from, that was the one get error of his game. He wasn't as good. Yeah, in this game. exactly. Um, but he contributed. Uh, and I, I think you're right. I just think the way that he can go both down the touchline and cut inside is, is really exciting. And it's, it's something that Bukayo Saka has had within his game for a long time. Uh, if Martinelli can really start to build on that, he does have a good weak foot. So I don't see why he wouldn't be able to be um, sort of that sort of go either way winger. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I even think there's a couple more players we could talk about for me. You know, Saliba, obviously a monster, but, you know, we've already touched on him and I thought Ramsdale was outstanding again. Um, well, more outstanding than he has been in recent games. Yeah, Ramsdale was the one I was going to touch on. Uh, quick little, don't know if it's breaking news, but uh, apparently Yuri Tielemans yes, did um, see that has sold his home, has sold his family home in Quorn, Leicestershire, uh, and is living in temporary accommodation. So that's one to keep an eye on. Anyway, Ramsdale, yeah, that was the, the final one I was going to talk on. Um, I thought he was really good. His distribution, again, good. Um, but a lot of it was, you know, he made two pivotal saves uh, near the end of the game from set Leicester, uh, Fulham set pieces. Really good saves. Obviously, one of them was followed up by a great block from Ben White. And, you know, I had a few concerns going into this season, but I think he started it pretty well. I know he had the, the Madison sort of mistake, you could say. Um, but yeah, really good saves and he continues, he'll be disappointed he didn't get the, the clean sheet, he continues 
um, to go from strength to strength. Uh, anything else you want to c- touch on in the the Fulham game in general, apart from just a good win? Um, no, no, nothing really. I'll, I'll second what you said on Ramsdale. I think some of the shot-stopping form is more akin to what we saw from him in the early parts of last season, some really, really crucial saves. I think at the same time, saves you'd expect him to make, but maybe goals he would have conceded back end of last season when his confidence wasn't quite so high. So it's good to see him playing with that that confidence again. Uh, I don't think there were was a glaring distribution error either um, against Fulham when, and I think big him for smashing oh, uh, no, Mitrovic in the face was class. Yards. That was absolutely class. I thought the ref was diabolical, but who cares? Um, and yeah, just just a <laughs> great performance. I just love William Saliba sticking his tongue out of the camera at the end. Um, and a word on the fans as well. The way no one seemed to turn on Gabriel was outstanding. Even I was close to turning on him because he pissed me off in that moment. But everyone else was just sort of applauding and roaring the team on. It's just amazing the sort of way things have turned around. Imagine if that was Godran Mustafi, it wouldn't have been the same. Uh, but it seems like we could see light at the end of the tunnel with regard to centre-backs. And we know that these guys have potential and they'll learn from these things. And it's so nice that everyone's on the same wavelength in that regard and they can see where Arteta's taking the team. It's just so much unity around the ground. Um, even before I saw you at the Tollington briefly, I'll see you again uh, on Wednesday ahead of Aston Villa, I'll assume. Um, and the atmosphere in there is, is, is just fantastic all around the club. And I know it's always going to be when you've won your first four games of the season, but you know the team can only beat who's in front of them. Um, do you want to talk a bit about Villa or um, yeah let's do that then yeah yeah we'll touch on Villa I want to second that just it's just a lovely atmosphere at the moment and you know the effect the Ashburton army have had is beautiful on the ref quickly I agree diabolical no big calls that he got wrong but it was just the way he managed the game the way he allowed Fulham to kick us constantly uh, without cards to to sort of precaution that um and yeah the atmosphere just electric at the end i said it earlier um but we shouldn't be celebrating because we haven't won the premier league and you're not allowed to celebrate unless you win the league um in which case basically no one ever will celebrate unless you're like man city um yeah big up uh good old laura woods i don't know if you've seen her video go around this morning but Go go give that a listen if if you haven't already because uh, yeah she hits the nail on the head on Talksport I don't like that radio station but she is a shining light among some very dark lights on that on that uh, platform yeah and it's just like if it's really tame at full time and there's like oh, it's a bit of an applause we get called having a shit atmosphere is it a library. And then if it's raucous, really happy that we won the game, an important win, um, it's, oh, they're over-celebrating. How is over-celebrating even a fucking concept? Like, I just... There are a few things that, just before we move on, because I don't want to talk about this too much, but there's Richard Keyes saying, first of all, that he can't stand uh, Arteta. He says that he irritates him. So first of all, there's agenda there. And then he just completely fucking lies and says Arsene Wenger would have been hounded out the arena if Arsenal beat Fulham 2-1. There was never a game that Wenger won when he was hounded out the arena apart from, I don't know, a a League Cup game where we might have been diabolical and scraped to win. Um, But, like, it's just lying. It's just, like, Tim Stillman said it um, on Twitter. He said... If you're, it's a weird thing to sort of police people's emotions. Uh, but if you're sort of criticizing people for being happy, there's definitely issues there. Like maybe you should, maybe you need therapy. If if you're saying people shouldn't be happy and celebrating things, it's a strange thing. And then he also said, talking about football is fucking easy, and it is. And to be paid for it, and to be paid very well for it, which he probably is. Um, it you know it's so easy, and if if what if you're resorting 
to that as your comment on the game, you know, they're over-celebrating. That is just rank incompetence, I think Tim Stillman put it. And the way he was just like sort of talking down to Nigel de Jong as well, who's supposed to be the sort of football expert on that panel, the one who's played football most recently, who was trying to justify the Arsenal sort of celebrations and fair play to him because he, he wasn't backing down despite these two dinosaurs who are so sort of staunch in their views sort of going at him. Um, I, I, it was good to see. Um, but yeah, they're just a, a really bizarre sort of criticism of, of a team. And I sort of expect it from sites like BT Sport, but from a, a broadcaster, like seriously. Um and from a guy who's who's been in the game for so long, has watched Arsenal because you know it's it's his job. Like being sport cover Arsenal regularly, it's a I think it's French, and we all know how big um, how big Arsenal are over in France. Um, so we broadcast regularly. He knows. Well, it's, I think it's around the world. Yeah, broadcast. yeah. Those are different countries. Um, but anyway, we know how big Arsenal are globally. So he would have watched a lot of us, and he knows all the adversity we've been through. So yes, we're going to celebrate. This time last year, we had three points on the board thanks to a scrappy win against Norwich. There's a lot more to this than just sort of. Oh, we beat Fulham. The, the relief in the stadium with regards and even to if how far we've come is, tan- is tangible. There wasn't more to it. Who cares? Exactly. Like, people have paid tickets. Victories. Like, yeah. celebrate a win. What is going on? Like, And again, as I said, if it was quiet and it was such a subdued atmosphere, it would be, it, it would be called a library. Like, why are you, why are you, sad that people are are passionate and happy about a victory and i don't i haven't watched all of being sports because i don't have access to it i wouldn't want to watch it anyway because of those dinosaurs on it um but i mean look at the scenes when spurs scored their second goal and wrapped up their victory against newly promoted side it was like they, they were absolutely loving it and i haven't seen any yeah, comment on and they should be like fair play yeah, they should 100 they should yeah. be but i haven't seen any comment on that from uh richard keys uh, and it's it's literally the same concept. Um, at the end of the day, I'm not paying. The end yeah, the, I'm not paying fifty, sixty pounds. I don't even know how much I paid to go, but it was a, it was a sizable amount of money for a student. And I'm not having a, an old man telling me how I I should and shouldn't celebrate because exactly. Do you want me to want. Just sort of stand there going? If you can't, if you're not watching, I was just doing a little clap. Um, like no, I'm gonna be fucking happy and singing and chanting like the rest of the stadium and give off the good vibes to the players. Um, yeah, he can go fuck himself, Richard Keys. I don't give a shit. He, he is a he's, he's not only is a dreadful person. If you don't know about Richard Keys, uh, if you don't have the history of of you know growing up in the UK, or remembering on Sky Sports, look up uh his long list of poor endeavors. Um, there's a lot of stuff like um sleeping with his daughter's best friend uh whilst his wife i i think had cancer that's what i might be wrong with that i know that's quite a big accusation but i'm pretty sure that's the case uh getting kicked out getting kicked off sky sports for making very sexist misogynistic comments on a female linesman um and plenty more stuff um i'm pretty sure is he same from the uk who was in the um studio with him of course who also got booted off sky sports for misogyny Exactly, um, and he's and I I heard ages ago he's banned. He's not allowed in the UK, uh, and he's stuck in Doha in Qatar. Really? What? Um, yeah. Both of them, or just or just uh, Gray? I, I think it might just be Richard Key. I'm, I, oh my that could God. be wrong, but yeah. I remember seeing that ages ago, which is why he's living in Qatar. Because why would he? Um, like, why would you, I don't know? Anyway, let's move on from those wankers and let's touch on Villa. Um, because it's the start of our long, you said it in the extra cannon podcast the other day with, with, uh, with Mac, it's the start of our playing every single midweek, uh, until the world cup. Obviously there's a two week international break after the Brentford game, but every time we have, yeah, (laughs) every time we have a, we have a midweek, uh, there is a game, um, 
So does that mean this is when we? Uh, I think if we we'd have, we play the same team again and Sinchenko and Partey had started again, there would without doubt be some changes in this game. But do you think with those changes we might see more? T- like what? How would you approach it? Because obviously we've got United on the weekend, and this is something I was going to say when we were talking about Tierney and Zinchenko. I'd be looking at United and wanting Tierney to start. I mean, they'll be bringing in their new eighty-five million pound Anthony. <laughs> um, to play on that side and I just think in the big games Tierney's the better defender I know we might lose a bit in possession but I'd be looking at and I know United aren't good but I'd be looking at Tierney uh, in that game Yeah, so I, perhaps I, if Sinchenko's mm. a fit in this he'll play this because I think that would be spare suited to him I think if we've got uh, Thomas Partey available for Manchester United that would be a very viable option um, I think it sort of rides on that because of just how much progression we lose when when either one of those two players isn't in the team. Um, so, yeah, um, that's definitely something we should explore. Obviously, we need to um, sort of uh, look at Tierney's fitness as well. Um, well. I can't say I'm that worried about Anthony, but, um, yeah. <laughs> that's I, think I think he is definitely a good player, but he's... I mean, it's not even getting to the price tag. It's yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do another, um, what's the word that you use? Schadenfreude. Um, we'll, we'll do a, Every so often we should do a podcast along those lines where we just talk about other clubs because I think it will entertain people. Um, but um, yeah, like comment below if that's what you want. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it will be an interesting one how we how we approach Villa just because of how hectic things are going to get over the course of the next few weeks. I would I would just sort of approach it. I think probably the same way that we approached the um, the game at the weekend against Fulham, um, as that video that's been floating around the internet has sort of shown. Uh, Partey and Zinchenko were just precautionary sort of absences. We just no. Notice, notice they've got slight problems, so we just kept them out for this one and hope that they'll be back and fit for the next game sort of thing. If there's anyone else who's sort of floating along that sort of line where you're not, just not sure if they're 100% fit, just pull them out. Um, you know, if Ben White's struggling a little bit, bring in Takahiro Tomiyasu uh, up front. If Gabby J is struggling a little bit, we know that Nketiah's in great form. Just chuck him up top. There, there are so many options. Um I think it's not a game to tear everything up, even though Villa have been pretty atrocious this season and are abysmal ta- tactically. We know the individual quality they have. Um, so it's not like we're playing Bournemouth or something. Um, but I'm I'm pretty confident that if we played that same team, we would sort of put them to bed pretty easily. Yeah, I think there's a case to be made that it's early enough in the season that the players aren't going to be knackered. Um even though they put a lot into that Fulham game, I think they've had, you know, they've had a week off between each fixture so far. So, you know, the first midweek game, they should be able to cope with that. Um, And then they should be able to play against United as well. Maybe a few changes, but not many. Um, And then next week, when we play Zurich away, I think we'll be able to ring the changes. Um, But I think, yeah, I think the Villa in disarray at the moment, like they've been shocking in the start of this season. An all right performance home to Everton aside. They lost to Bournemouth on the opening day and were dreadful. They lost to um, Crystal Palace. They were dreadful against Palace. They were dreadful against West Ham. I think we can get out, if we get at them early, we can put this game to, I mean, I know that's, you know, being optimistic, but I think we can put this game to bed quickly and there's a case to be made to put your best players out and then withdraw them early. Um, ahead of United. I think that's how I would approach it personally. Yeah, I, I, that would be ideal. Um, or we sort of approach it in a similar manner. We sort of set up in the same way, but and if we're struggling, we just bring on Eddie and we throw the kitchen sink at them and hope that we grab some goals. But that sort of style of play, of play is very uh, draining. Um, it it takes a lot of sort of vigor to play with with that um sort of relentless attacking style for 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 sort of an extended period of a match uh you know the guys were obviously exhausted of course they were uh, at the end of the fulham game 
Um, so I would I would really like us to take advantage of Villa's woes, get a couple of early goals, and try and play like we we have been able to in recent weeks and just control the fuck out of the game. We're playing at the Emirates Stadium against a team who aren't very good tactically. We we can do that. Um, even if we are playing El Nenny, he I think he is probably capable of doing that just because he's so good at keeping things ticking over. Uh, less said, the better about his progression. But we, we know what he is good at and I imagine sort of controlling a game, he would be very useful. Um, so... Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be in a rush to bring back Partey and, and Zinchenko if they're still sort of fitness doubts, but I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them was, was back in the eleven for this one. Uh, and as you say, early in the season, it's all about building up fitness still as well. I think these our sort of first-choice players should be really fighting to play every game so they can get to that sort of peak physicality level. Agreed. Um, should we call it a day? I yeah. think we should, yeah. Yeah, you have to get off. Um, it's been a pleasure, Rob. Marketing opportunity of a lifetime. Plug yourself. Um, so I think I'm going to write it tonight, so it might be up. Um, Alfie might not have promoted it yet because we've got a lot of articles going out this week. We've already got Jahid's uh, to post. Um, I look forward to reading that when it's up. And there's already the Finton's Frolic and Vinay's Tactical Points up on the website. So do go check out everything on weloveyourarsenal.co.uk. Um, but if um, you do want to read something from me, there will be a piece on Eddie and Ketia coming up in the next few days. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. I will second that and just say, just go to weloveyourarsenal.co.uk. Um because there's there's a lot on there at the moment and it's all good. Um it's all great. It's all phenomenal, I'd say. Um we need a song, Robert. We do. We used tequila last week, didn't we? We can't use that again. Um, I, d- I don't know what, what was <laughs> a nice bit of uh <laughs> dry air. Dead air. <laughs> Have you have you got any ideas? I don't know. Well, this is about, this is great sort of for content for the listeners. Something to do with like police because celebration police. Oh yeah, what, like, what? Richard Keys coming in. Yeah, sound of the police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go for that, that one. Uh, that. Okay. Fucking Richard Keys and in a few years when we've got like a proper recording studio, what we'll do is we'll we'll make these songs, but we'll like yeah. we'll, we'll have a bit, a bit like I don't not not yeah, but not instead of uh, like how Gunnerblog does it on the Arscast Extra, we'll have Daniel singing the songs. I think he'd bloody love that. <laughs> He's got an angelic voice. We know we'll um, do. It's a great. <laughs> we have a multitude exactly. of talents here on the uh, We Love You Arsenal Productions team. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, we'll leave it there. Hopefully, we'll have an extra cannon podcast after the uh, the Villa game uh, on Thursday or Friday, um, and then hopefully we'll see you in the main show again next week after United, and hopefully we'll sign another player or two uh, in the remaining days of the window been a pleasure thanks very much rob um and see you later goodbye
That's the sound of the beast. 